All Blacks legend Sir John Kirwan, for whom there is life before his 2010 memoir that lay bare his struggle with mental illness, and then there is life after. The book gave thousands of Kiwis permission to talk about depression and anxiety. And the sharks still swirl around JK too. Negative thoughts at times of stress. It happened when he was coach of the Auckland Blues, for example. But he says this stage of his life is only possible because he made friends with failure. He's updated the book with more stories about his personal experience and practical advice for mental well-being. It's called All Blacks Don't Cry, A Story of Hope. And Sir John Kerwin joins me now. Kia ora. Kia ora, Jesse. How are you, mate? Great. I'm really good. It's nice to talk to you. And is there a line in your life before and after the original release of this book in 2010? Yeah, I think there is. I, I, I don't know about the release of the book, but certainly going public on um, my depression. There was certainly a, a pre-JK, pre-depression and post-JK, post-depression. Um, you know, often you read about people who have these life moments with an accident or something, you know, a near-death experience and I, I'm pretty sure mine was like that um, you know wanting to jump out of a window one night um, suicidal ruminations a lot all those things um, really affected the way that I live today and I think you know one of the hardest decisions for me Jesse was was coming out and talk, talking about it publicly firstly um, on you know, on the television and, and doing the hope campaigns and that sort of stuff. But I think the book was, you know, when you're on television, you only got a minute to, or 30 seconds to tell your story, you know. Mm. You'd know that very well. Sometimes you'd be interviewing people and you've only got a certain amount of time. So the book was just the longer version of uh, what I'd been through. So if people wanted to reach and, you know, understand a bit more, they could. So much has changed uh, for mental health in New Zealand. So much has stayed the same, of course. But it is, yeah. I would argue, normal now to tell people that you have mental health struggles. Um, and it still takes a lot of courage to talk about it. But it's much different than it was in 2010. And I imagine it must have taken a bit of courage for you to open up about it 13 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it was probably the biggest decision of my life, Jesse. You know, like I had a perception, you know, like you said just now, it's, it's still hard for people sometimes to talk about it. But back then, I thought it was going to wreck my career. You know, I thought it was going to really detract from some of the things I wanted to achieve. So it was possibly the biggest decision of my life. I think, I think you know, another wise statement you said is a lot's changed, but a lot hasn't. So, mm. you know, yeah, we can talk about it now, but I think the most exciting thing, Thing for me and what I'm trying to concentrate on is preventative mental health you know how do we actually prevent a lot of people from getting unwell how do we actually prevent people from um, get, getting pushed off the cliff like like we do you know life's changing pretty quick so you've got to be able to have these tools for this modern world we live in you were a hero of mine you're a hero of a lot of people and um, we didn't know, of course, at that time that your thoughts were pretty dark at that time. Do you recognise that John Kerwin of the 80s and 90s today? Uh, not really. Um, you know, it's like it's like he didn't exist. I sort of look back on my the old JK as if he was just this really different person. You know, I was full of doubt. I had imposter syndromes. You know, I had um, guilt. I had I want to be liked shark. I had, you know 
um, a dumb shark. So I had all these things that I hadn't de- dealt with. And and also I didn't deal with my anxiety that then fell into a depression. So a lot of the times I was hiding or being someone that, that I wasn't really on the inside. So it is like having two lives, really. Um you know, how I was. And look, it didn't happen overnight, Jesse. You know, I had to work really, really hard um, on making sure I dealt with a lot of those things and then created a life, um, you know, where I sort of, what I talk about now is going from surviving to thriving. You know, I still get, I still get anxious. I still get upset about stuff. I still have good days and bad days, but on the whole, I'm really well, you know, so I can deal with those things um so much better it's not so much of a tragedy like it was you know sort of pre there's a question i want to ask you from a from a listener before we um run out of time comes from chris and you're not a psychologist but i but you've been through some of the stuff yourself and i I think i'll be interested in your perspective um he says he's really looking forward to hearing you on the show today and chris says would you please ask sir john to talk about how i can assist my family member who's very depressed regarding an employment issue i don't know how to assist him do i talk to him about the situation how he's feeling or do i just keep in touch and let him know i'm thinking about him i'm at a complete loss on how to address the matter with him and and how to assist him through the situation and often it's people you're talking to aren't the people themselves with depression but people close to them who want to do the right thing john yeah and it's a it's a really great question a difficult one um, you know, what I say is step in and let people know that you are there. Sometimes it's important that we're not the experts. Some of the greatest things that happened to me was people walked with me on my journey. For example, I remember my brother-in-law coming with me to the psychiatrist when I felt that was failure and I didn't want to go alone. Um, you know, I, I reached out to a mate a long time ago and told him how I was feeling. He told me to harden up. You know, we're still friends. But I said to him, why did you say that? And he said, shit, Jake, I didn't know what to say. I just told you what I'd been told. Mm-hmm. So often we try and, um, you know, often we try and give advice when the best thing is to just listen, um, you know, and be there to help. Say, I understand you might be having a difficult time. How can I help? What do you need me to do? Rather than, rather than can give advice. And then if the person is really bad, just try and walk with them. You know, do you want me to take you to someone do you want me to help um and and i think that's the best way to do it but it is important to step in and like i i pushed jesse i pushed everyone away because i didn't want people to know i was unwell so you know i think also opening up that conversation sometimes can be really good if you show vulnerability because mm. if you show vulnerability then that gives everyone else the right to be vulnerable mm. i love that um, you mentioned you know Harden up is about, I'd argue, one of the worst things you can say to someone. But you, you talk in the book about um, something that Michael Jones said to you that stuck with you that was that did mean a lot to you. Yeah, like saved my life, Michael Jones. You know, I was considering uh, jumping out a window on an all-black tour in '90 in, in in Buenos Aires at the Hilton, and he said to me, "JK, you've got a good heart." Um, and I and I said that to myself, you know what felt like every second of every day for the next five days until I got home and got some help. So, you know, I think this world is is pretty tough out there, you know, and we're all pretty quick to criticize, but I think a kind word to, pers- to people and also to yourself, you know, I call it congratulations to me. You know, one of the things that I do every day is I have a to-done list, um, 
you know, at the end of every single day, I look back and look at what I've done that day because mm. often we're always busy. You know, Jesse, you're an incredibly busy person. I bet you your email box is always full and you've always got a to-do list. But if you don't look back, um, you know, on your day and go, wow, yeah, I did get up. Yeah, I managed my family. Yeah, I went to work. You know, I did all these things. And if you look back, um, it starts, it, you, you start really changing your attitude and say, wow, I did achieve a lot. Yeah, I've got stuff to do, mm. but wow, I did well today. And another way to do it with the, with your kids if they're young, A, is to show some vulnerability around the dinner table. So talk about being anxious about, you know, doing your radio show or whatever, but then also um, get them to celebrate things that they did. You know, what did you do well today? And uh, it, sometimes it can be a bit hard to answer that question, but it might be just something little, you know. That's why the army make you make your bed because no matter how the day goes, <laughs> you make your bed. <laughs> I love that, yeah. I'm talking to Sir John Kuhn, if you've just tuned in. His book's called All Blacks Don't Cry, A Story of Hope. He's re-released it uh, and revised it 13 years after it was originally published. What do you mean when you say that depression is a modern illness? Oh, look, the mental health of the of the world is going up. Um, you know, and I think modern illness because, this, you know, you get more inputs on your brain today than your grandparents had in a lifetime. Right. So while depression and anxiety has been around around a long, long time, it's certainly on the rise because we've just got so much going on in our lives and so busy and our brains don't rest that often, you know. So when was the last time you were bored, Jesse? You know, like even even when we don't want to do something, we're picking up our phones now. So there's always this this input, you know. And, and so um anxiety and depression's on the rise just because I think technology is really, and I love technology, don't get me wrong, but it's really um, accelerated to a point where we actually need to create these mental health moments in our day to look after ourselves, to be a little bit bored, to to recharge and those types of things where in the old days, I think you get that naturally. You know, I often tell a story about, you know, when my dad went home from work um, at five o'clock, nothing followed him, you know, uh-huh. Um you know, do you look at your phone after dinner? Do you catch up on your emails on Sunday morning? Do you do things Sunday afternoon on your computer? Yes, 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 and yes. Now, I don't care. I don't care how people live their lives. I think you, if you want to do that, that's fine. But you also must take some control back to rest your brain, to really uh, rejuvenate it, you know, find things that switch you off and things like that. So I think when I talk about it being a modern illness, I think we all need, you know, I often talk about this, Jesse, you know, in the 80s, 80s was fun, mate. You know why? Because you could smoke and drink and no one really gave a toss, right? Because we <laughs> didn't know the dangers. By the end of the 80s, people saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't drink and maybe you shouldn't smoke. And really now, more or less, if you think about it, you know what you should eat. You know that you need to do exercise. You know that you shouldn't smoke. But the next thing we need to learn is how do I look after, how do I do preventative mental health? What do I need to do in my day to look after the old brain? Um, And so that's why I think it's really, really important people, you know, do have a mental health plan daily. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that. By the way, do you ever think about what life may have been like for you as an All Black if you did have social media back in the day? Um, The the added pressures of people being able to really contact you whenever they want and and share their opinion on you whenever they felt like it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how that would go, mate, you know. Um, I think it's very, very difficult for our youth. You know, people talk to me a lot about 
how anxious our youngsters are. But, you know, let's not talk about being famous. Let's just talk about being young. Mm. You know, if I didn't get invited to a party, Jesse, when I was growing up, well, we didn't know about it till Monday, <laughs> right? We probably did something else. Um, you know, we didn't get 50 photos of people having a good time and yeah. you feeling excluded. You know, bullying, there is no place for bullying of any sort. But, you know, at De La Salle, you'd get your head pushed down the toilet and the toilet would be flushed, you know what I mean? All you had to do is not tell the teachers and, and not tell your parents and you sort of passed that exam. Now, I don't agree with any type of bullying, but I could deal with that way easier than I could someone sending a photo of yourself naked around internet or, you know, saying to everybody, or, you know, whatever on internet, I I don't know how you deal with those things today. So I think the life of our youth, let alone our athletes, is way more difficult because whether you like it or not, no matter how successful you are, no one likes, um, you know, to be told they're useless or get abused or anything like that. So it's, it's a pretty hard thing. Your experience coaching the Blues is something you've written about in this new version of the book. You write about burnout. Um, did the sharks come circling at that time for you? Uh, different sharks. I was, I was, I was burnt out, and I was anxious, but I wasn't unwell. Um, if that makes sense, yeah. You know, I was under pressure. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I remember coming home one night. And my wife said, "You should stop this. You look a hundred. Um, so yeah, I, I broke a few of my own rules and I really think I was burnt out because, um, I was failing and I wanted to succeed, but I was, I was still mentally well, you know, I wasn't having anxiety attacks. I wasn't getting depressed. Um, when I talk about my sharks, yeah, the self doubt was floating around again and, um, you know, and I made some really poor decisions cause I was under pressure and burnt out, you know, um, and the thing I learned is that burnout is a mental health issue, but it not might not necessarily mean that you are you are mentally unwell. It is a mental condition, right? So what I learned from that is I, I talk about the five Bs of burnout. Um and I still practice them today. You know, I was pretty burnt out. Um this probably sounds really spoiled, Jesse, but you know, I was pretty burnt out at the end of the World Cup. Here I was in France gallivanting around, but yeah. it was pretty fun, you know. So um so what I do is I do the five B's of burnout. You know, I, I do lots more breathing in my day. I put boundaries and, you know, I often think about, um, and you, this had happened to you, to you, you know, you get asked to go and do a lot of things. So I need to put more boundaries around me and, and, and say no to stuff. Yeah. Um, you've said, so you've said no to me more... a few times over the years for interview, <laughs> interviews, fair <laughs> enough yeah, too. Sorry, mate. <laughs> sorry man <laughs> but um the third b is taking more breaks in your day um the the fourth b is look after your body and when i say look after your body you know i have a tendency you know i say drinking not my problem stopping us um mm-hmm. so when i'm under pressure i think this might be a bit of a cultural thing sometimes i tend to want to drink a bit so looking after my body means not doing that and just going for walks and stuff and then the last b is be kind um and guess who we need to be kind to (laughs) ourselves you know so those things so that was a real learning for me during the blues because i was mentally well but i was burnt out which made me not function as well as what i could as a coach and you also learned to make friends with failure you say um and that's something that probably could be useful to most people even if they're not coaching a super rugby team yeah, look, for me, I used to run away from failure. 
um, used to be really scared of it, so I'd try and avoid it. And when it did happen, I probably wouldn't um, admit to it as much as what I should, so I'd only half learn. But um, once I learned to give it a cuddle and put it out onto my knee and say, well, hello, failure, how are you? Um, it became one of my greatest teachers. And there's a couple of things that are pretty hard. You've got to talk to your ego about that. So your ego has to be okay with you um, and your failure. But once I uh, started looking a bit more for failure by just trying things, and once you realize there is no failure in life, there's only experience and knowledge. Um, as long as you learn from those moments, then um, you know you need to fail fast and move on. And I think once I learned to do that, I wasn't scared of failure anymore, so I became a lot more adventurous. Um, Lou and Blenheim has got in touch, and I'll throw this one at you just because I suspect it might be something that you've come across before. He wants to know whether concussions from rugby might have had anything to do with uh, mental health problems over the years. Yeah, so there's a direct correlation with concussion and depression, so yes, that can happen. Uh, Not in my case. I didn't get concussed uh, during my career, probably because I didn't tackle (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah there's definitely definitely a correlation with uh head knocks and and uh depression for sure so uh, and you also link um depression to to drugs and alcohol to marijuana yeah i mean that was really interesting isn't it because um i think you know i've got some friends of mine that have that have smoked all their lives dac and shit like that you know and they're okay um but I think it depends on the person if you've got a – and I think there is some studies. So, you know, if you go and have a look, I think there's some direct correlation with, um, you know, drugs and, and depression and all that stuff. It can certainly open up that neuro pathway. But I wouldn't quote me on that. You'd better off going to someone who studied that. But yeah. I'm pretty sure – you know, like for me, my my go-to was alcohol, Jesse, and, and um, I used to get absolutely hammered trying to run away from my mental health. It gave me some relief and some peace for a couple of hours, if that makes sense. But then it made me incredibly worse the next day. Um, and that hasn't changed either. You know, like if I drink too much, then my mental health's not as good the day after. So, um, you know, that's my experience with it. And I'm pretty sure there's studies on it as well. Uh, Wayne on text says, JK, your comments have helped me immensely over the years and still do every day. It must be, uh, must be lovely for you to hear that and, and to know the difference you've made with, with this book and, and with the other efforts you've made in this space. Yeah, look, I, I just think it's normal, you know, and I think I grew up in this world where success was perfection and perfection's impossible. Um, you know, I often I often think about the way I was and, and what I thought was success. Um, and so, yeah, look, look, I am you, you are me, you know, and, and we're all very different. But if we just talk about this stuff and we understand it, and once you've got an understanding of it, then life gets a little bit easier. You know, I think there are people that are going to have um, mental health issues all their lives, but but that's okay too. You know, they take your medicine, um, you know, really look after yourself. And and I'm really hoping that um, you know the research going into some of the mental health issues that are more long term, um, you know, that medicine will get better and better and better. So, but it, it's normal, you know. Like one one time, someone said to me, you know, J.K., your head is attached to your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because sometimes we consider them as two different things, right? Um, 
but they are connected and and for me it's just normal to have to have mental health and to look after it um here's a really interesting one um which i'll read out it's a longer text i was in such a dark place that i felt resentment for jk when he first started his campaign i thought how dare he expose and make it a public issue i thought he was being disingenuous that's the ridiculousness of how depression works you don't want help you don't want exposure you feel embarrassed and alone and resentful and now i'm so glad about what jk has done i now know a key to understanding and working through depression is to take away the stigma. He's a true hero of mine and he helped to save me. That's a lovely and very thoughtful comment, isn't it? Yeah, thank, thank you for reading that. It makes me feel really humble. I think, you know, I've been alone in a room full of people. Um, I've been alone with people who love me around me. That's the illness, you know. Um, and when I first reached out to my doctor, the first thing he said to me is, JK, it's an illness, not a weakness, but it takes away your self-esteem, takes away your self-confidence and take away your enjoyment in life, right? So when you have those three things, life's pretty shitty, Jesse, you know, when you don't have those three things. Mm. The other thing that's really interesting is you're fighting this thing in your head. So a minute feels like an hour, an hour feels like a day, and a day feels like a week. Huh. So by the end of each day, you're so damn tired that you just don't want to go on. Um but that's all part of the illness, and 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 so you know I know I know what the listener said. I've I've felt incredibly lonely, surrounded by people. But you say in the book that while you would love to have never experienced depression, it has actually made you a better person. Can you talk to us a little bit about yeah. that to finish? Oh, yeah, totally, Jesse. You know, I think um, I don't wish it on my worst enemy, um, if that makes sense, just because it was so damn hard in there. Um, it was hell on earth, but it did make me a better person. Um, you know, I don't live for yesterday and don't worry too much about tomorrow. Um, I try and be the best me I can every single day. I have a really, really neat daily mental health plan. And I say to people, people say, why do you put your mental health first? I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm a better workmate. I'm a better friend and a better me. Right. So that's a pretty good reason to put it first. So it's given me this life lesson that has made me, um, you know, very, 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 fortunate to have gone through that hell to me because I, I i love every day you know i'm i'm in really good shape and feel really positive and and so i feel very fortunate on a different topic what are we going to do about this tmo i'll get rid of him jesse get rid of the man like i'm going to stand i'm going to stand for uh chairman of the world rugby and these are the three things i've changed <laughs> um you've got to set the scrum in a minute right you got to get the ball put in in 40 seconds, and the referee only goes to the TMO when he needs him. Love it. Meanwhile, England captain Owen Farrell says he's taking a break from international rugby to, wait for it, prioritise his mental health. That must surely represent progress. Yeah, look, and I think you mentioned it before, right? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard when you, uh, you, know, when you get criticised and... You know, you do need breaks from it. And this is why I say to people, you should have a preventative mental health thing, right? You can't you can't carry your mental health forward and recover on the weekend. Um, you know, you can't get over it in a few days. So you've got to look after it, you know, you've got to look after it every day. 
Really enjoyed talking to you. Congratulations on the book. Keep saying no, but it is nice when you sometimes say yes. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. You're a good man. I appreciate you. And you too, Sir John Kerwin, author of the book All Blacks Don't Cry, A Story of Hope.